This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Thank you for tuning in today. Today's show, we are talking with former attorney Sherry Soltis, who runs a nonprofit Surface Dogs Inc. based in Texas. And it's actually their 30th anniversary of turning rescue dogs into service dogs for people living with hearing loss or mobility challenges. When we get back from these messages, Sherry will be joining us. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Super Mega Fish Oil. Get the third bottle free. Packed with omega-3, DHA, and EPA fatty acids. Super Mega is great for your dog's immune system, healthy skin, and soft, shiny fur. Dogs love it. Try Super Omega Fish Oil. Buy two. Get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Sherry Soltis, founder of Service Dogs, Inc. from Texas. Thanks for coming on today. You have an amazing mission serving two groups that are in need. Now, you're an expert in the area of service dog legislation and and have a ton of achievements. So how did you decide to take dogs out of shelters for this purpose? Well, Beverly, thank you so much for having me on. I've always wanted to rescue animals. I think growing up and moving around a lot, I felt like my our pets were my siblings. And I had been yeah. a lawyer for about eight years and learned about dogs that help people with disabilities. And I'm kind of a cat person, but cats really don't care if you fall out of your wheelchair for the most part. So (laughs) I thought, why don't we try dogs? And at the end of the article, it mentioned that a small minority of the groups, I guess that's redundant, just a few of the groups used shelter dogs instead of breeding them. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I just got involved a little at a time and then have been doing it full time now for 30 years. And left the law behind. So I went from lawyers to stray dogs. So I like to say that's a step up. (laughs) But I'm a little little bit snarky. That's the cat lady coming out in me. So there you go. Ah, Maybe you can quickly talk about that article. I read it, um, but it's pretty interesting. So maybe the listeners will be interested in it. The article I read in like the 80s? Uh, It's the article about... When you were saying, how did I get into service dogs and using rescue dogs, I had been dissatisfied with practicing law. And this was before the internet, young, young ones. So you have to read (laughs) magazines, and I just read an article in a magazine about assistance dogs, and that's what inspired me to get started. Gotcha. Okay. That's fascinating. Now, do you pick and choose who you take out based on their capability to be a service dog, or do you just take out as many as you can? Absolutely. In fact, I've been, Thursdays are when we go to shelters and look at dogs, and uh, Last uh, two Thursdays ago, we went to four shelters near uh, the Austin, Texas area, and today we're uh, the trainers are going to the San Antonio area. But we have a lot of characteristics we look for. We look for a young adult dog, so it has a little bit of a longer attention span, oh, okay. and we basically want a friendly dog that wants to be with people. 
And because the dogs can go in public with their disabled partners, we want a dog that's confident. So even if something startles it, like maybe a piece of machinery at the Home Depot kind of a place, even if the dog startled, it will recover and be resilient and say, oh, that's nothing. Let's keep going. So sometimes you don't even know about that till you have the dog for a while because maybe they're a little bit sick at the shelter and when they feel better, their personality comes out more. But uh, we like to give people a chance. By people, I mean dogs. So we're looking for, <laughs> and we don't care if it's a pure breed or a mix. I say it's just like your coworkers. If you can do the job, we don't care who your parents are. Right, right. Yeah, just a friendly, confident dog. If it's going to be a service dog for somebody with a mobility-related challenge, we want a dog that sort of likes to pick up things. So we might throw a toy and see if the dog picks it up. If it's going to be a hearing dog and alert deaf people to sounds, Uh uh, we'll put out a little timer or a little smoke alarm. And if it beeps, we really are watching to see how the dog reacts. And we want a dog that notices a sound and investigates it, maybe does that cute head tilt. If a dog totally ignores it or it's afraid or it tries to attack that little timer, that might be a dog that's happier doing something else. So how does your system kind of work? Maybe we can get into that when I ask you about the other stuff. But sometimes I find when dogs are traumatized and then they go into shelters, they come out a little bit more. Do you guys give them that time? Sure. We know that dogs, like people, um, can have post-traumatic stress. So we really try to allow for understanding this is a super chaotic, stressful place to be in a shelter, even though the shelter staff is doing the best they can. So when we test the dog, um, we give it a lot of time to sort of relax and recover. We'll take it out of the little kennel run and we'll go into an outdoor yard with it, which, again, redundant. But we'll go into a yard and have it off-leash and give it some time to sort of sniff and investigate things, smell the old tennis ball. And then we're just looking for a dog that maybe wants to come out and hang out with you. So it's pretty simple, basic things, but we're just trying to get an idea of the temperament And all of our training is positive reinforcement. We don't use corrections, meaning we don't jerk the dog's collar. We don't use a choke chain or a pinch collar. We don't even say the word no. We try (laughs) to set it up so the dog can choose what it wants to do and, and chooses to do what we're asking it to do because it thinks it's fun and it's hoping that maybe something really neat will happen if it does the behavior like a food or getting petted or a toy or the chance to go play with another dog. So we try to reinforce them in as many ways as possible. So when you watch our videos or you observe the dogs in person, you can tell from their body language, they're having fun and they're eager to do this. It's like going to Hogwarts where what fun thing's going to happen next? And I'm with you because you're the key to fun things versus I'm afraid to make a mistake because you're going to hurt me or I'm giving this behavior because I'm starving. So they get all their food, whether they do the behaviors or not, but we might use it during the day or have an extra high value kind of a food just to communicate, yes, that's what I want you to do. I want you to tug the refrigerator open or or walk by the wheelchair more slowly and, yeah, you got it. Here's something wonderful. But we don't do mean things to them to try to push them into doing what we want. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> and I, so I know, I, yeah, that's good. And that's awesome that, I think that's so awesome that you take that extra step because the training is pretty much your... Um, not obligation, but you're doing that for before they even get certified. Yeah, we've already been working with them at least six months before we th- start thinking about which of our clients would this dog be a good match with. 
And even if the dog doesn't continue its training as a hearing or service dog, we will adopt it out to a pet home and we will always continue to train it and spend as much time with it as we do the other dogs. We never take a dog back to a shelter. Yeah. You know, you can think of it like, like we have a dog that was rescued or we did from Hurricane Harvey. The shelter got pulled that dog right out of the water and he wasn't quite interested in being a service dog, but now he's a search and rescue dog and he loves it. Oh, okay. If you say, hey, that's a hammer and I'm trying to screw a screw in, I need a screwdriver. It's not the hammer's fault that it can't screw a screw in. You just need to pick the right (laughs) tool for the right Right. job. And so that's how we look at it. Like, where's this dog going to be the happiest? That's amazing. And that means even the people that adopt them and they don't turn out rescue dogs. They still got a really smart dog because they of the do. Team, regardless. They have a, a pretty well trained awesome. dog that's been socialized and we spend some time uh, with them teaching them about what this dog likes and, and showing them all the things we've taught it. So a lot wow. of those guys will use them as therapy dogs, search and rescue all kinds of things, or they're just having a great time being a family dog. And we're always getting follow-up reports. Oh, we went camping. Here's a dog at the swimming pool. Here's a dog with the other, the new baby. So um, everybody's doing pretty well. We try to make sure that, again, it's it's all back to Hogwarts and Harry Potter. It's like the sorting hat. Like, where's this dog going to be the happiest? So <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. we never try to, back in the 80s, they had uh, square pegs. We're not trying to put a square peg in a round hole. We're just trying to fit everything together so everybody's happy and productive. So how do you ensure, though, that it's a compatible pair? Well, we have something we call matching. So when we've had the dogs a while, we will invite a client in and introduce the client to maybe four dogs. And that dog might also meet multiple clients. And then we sit down together as a staff and try to, now we're being yentas, we're being matchmakers, like, what's the best dog for the best client? Well, this deaf woman is in her 20s and she likes to jog. So let's put her with the little border collie hearing mm, dog like yeah. dog. And and we've had several deaf people that say, I can run outside for the first time because I know the dog will let me know if there's a car or a bicycle. I don't have to run on a treadmill all the time. We put an Australian Shepherd with a girl in a wheelchair who sold advertising for a radio station because she was on the go, on the go, super social, and that's a herding dog. So the dog liked to be busy. So also in... A service dog, we're trying to match the size of the dog. Like a gentleman who's athletic and maybe got hurt doing something athletic, he might be higher up in his wheelchair and might need a larger dog than maybe a woman who was born with spina bifida or something and she's more petite and she needs a smaller dog. So we're looking at the physical characteristics as well as the lifestyle. Some people like affectionate dogs. Some people don't want a dog that's super clingy. So we're, it's basically (laughs) like your aunt. We're trying to match the right, the right couple together. Right, right. Ooh, that's logistics right there. Yeah, and um, everybody, interestingly, over 30 years, they think their dog's the smartest, prettiest dog of all of them. So um, yes. it seems to be doing well. The dogs are not interchangeable, and neither are the people. So we don't just say, you're next on the assembly line. Here you go. So we're not a Walmart. We're more like artisan of service dogs. <laughs> okay, that, well, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So I have an idea of the differences between therapy dogs and service dogs. And you guys strictly train service dogs. I guess what I'm asking is, do you guys train for therapy dogs as well if they don't qualify for service dogs? Or is that line kind of fuzzy? With We don't. They're all of the titles sound confusing and they all kind of run together. Yeah, so they do. the training industry and all of the, the statutes use different terminology. So the training industry will say assistance dog is an umbrella term like, and under that is guide dogs, hearing dogs, service dogs for people 
with other types of disabilities. A therapy dog is usually your pet dog that you volunteer with and you take it to the hospital or wherever and the facility lets you come in. And those dogs are, are great and helpful, but they are basically, they pass sometimes an exam called the canine good citizen or good citizen test where they're basically calm and nice and you can pet them. So people with, sometimes our graduates will use their dogs as therapy and they'll go volunteer at a hospital or a senior living center. Right, yeah. And there are a lot of good groups doing that. So if your listeners are interested in, hey, I think my dog, and sometimes it's not just a dog. We've seen giant rabbits and other animals be therapy animals. Look up therapy dogs with therapy animals in your city and there'll be two or three groups. Oh, okay. There's also, what we are starting to train are, different kinds of facility dogs that do have a higher level of training and that might include like a courthouse dog where the victim's assistance staff member, um, she or he has the dog. And when children come in and they have to be interviewed about abuse or other crimes and they have to testify, they can have the dog with them. So we've started doing those. They, oh. They're a little bit higher trained than a therapy dog. They have to ignore food and yeah. uh, be able to be in a stressful situation and, and be okay with that. And we've placed a dog with the fire department And they are doing response for first responders or support. It turns out first responders, like people that have to work a flood or those fires like they're having in California, they have a higher suicide rate than veterans do. So in the Houston area in Atascacita, they're creating a whole support unit for them, which includes one of our dogs. So they can go throw football with the dog or pet the dog. And this dog is a black lab named Vancouver. He always tells us who's the most stressed out and he'll just, he's very calm and he'll just walk up and put his head in their lap or bring us toy Aww. and it, it's really helpful because our first responders see a lot of things that are, that yeah. are hard to get oh, over. So imagine. having a dog that you don't have to talk to, but you're, you can connect with is very therapeutic. For sure. That's awesome. Yeah. There are some other categories. The things you hear about on airplanes a lot are what are called emotional support animals. And yep. those don't have any training. Those are just somebody decided. It's kind of like a teddy bear. They feel better if the dog's there. So, oh, okay. or, or whatever other animal, it might be a cat. When you hear about the peacock on the plane and all that, that's an emotional support animal. And that just somebody decided to take an animal with them. But the animal itself doesn't have any training. It's just basically a, a teddy bear the, they took. Right. So okay. The, and there's a few other categories, but those probably are enough for now. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's good to know. We're just going to have a quick break. And when we get back, we'll continue talking about rescue dogs turned into service dogs. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hey everyone, Michelle Fern here, host of Best Bets for Pets and dog mom to two gorgeous pooches. And I found a way to make them happy every month. BarkBox. It's a party in the box for your pooches filled with toys and treats they will love. We have a special for you that you are going to love too. This is for all the pet parents. Visit BarkBox.com slash PetLife and subscribe to a 6 or 12 month plan and get a month for free. How great is that? Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Service Dogs founder, Sherry Soltis, 
what I did want to ask you really quickly was, so you know how the, the stigma with rescue dogs being broken, and you, <laughs> you would definitely be the first person online being, no, they are not. What results do you find with rescue dogs and the training that you provide? Well, I think that it's like a chemical formula, and part of it, it's usually, in my opinion, dogs don't end up in shelters because of them. They end up in shelters because of bad parenting. People get divorced, or they say the dog's too much work, and maybe they should have gotten a magazine or with a picture of a dog instead of a dog. <laughs> um, so there's a classic book in the 40s by the monks of Newskeet who train German shepherds. The first line is, every trainer gets the dog they deserve. So the way a dog is behaving is a reflection of how it's been treated. So that's why I like to rehabilitate these dogs and give them a second chance. Our success rate is comparable and often better than the folks that breed their dogs. And a lot of that is because now most people are using basically positive training, but we were among the first like 25 years ago. We were oh, like, yeah? oh. yes, hey, let's, we're not going to use the old punishment military methods anymore. We're going to use what the marine ant mammal industry started pioneering, which was being nice to them. The worst thing that happens if a dog doesn't, if a dog is doing a behavior we don't want, we will just, A, ignore it so you're not giving them a lot of attention, and B, teach it something else to do instead that it can get rewarded for. For example, if you don't want your dog to jump on you, old school was you knee him in the chest, you push him off of you, all that dominant stuff. Yes. We teach the dog a down because think about it, you can't lay down and jump on somebody at the same time. So if you are always rewarding them when they lay down. They're going to start laying down to get that reward, and there you go. You no longer have a dog that jumps on you because jumping gets him nothing, but laying down gets him treats and praise and going through the door and getting in the car. So they'll start offering you downs because of the reinforcement history. Right. So all of this positive training is a great way to get animals and people to do what you want Plus, you're building a great relationship with the animal because we have people who fall out of their wheelchairs and the dog has to go find the phone or go get help. If you're only controlling them by punishing them right. and all of a sudden oh, okay. physically okay. can't do it, then they're going to go, free at last, I'm out of here, stupid. <laughs> so That's this true. way the dog will try to help you because of the relationship. And in behavior, they have like the cue or the command, then the behavior, and then the consequence the consequence is what drives the behavior, not that you spoke to them in German with their low voice. For example, remember payphones? Every once in a while you find a, a quarter in a payphone. Oh, um, yes. Well, um, if you find a quarter in a payphone, you will check that payphone the next 10 times you walk by it because of the consequence. Something good happened. It's not because there's a sign that says, check me for money. The consequence, or if you have a lucky slot machine in Vegas, you're going to keep playing that machine because something good happened. So if a dog does something and something great happens, the dog yeah. will do it again, and then they'll become very creative. So let's say the dog uh, oh, doesn't geez. get the reward. He's going to try other things to try to get some kind of a reward, and so that way you have a dog that can think for itself and solves problems. So we had a guy mm. one time that passed out in his bathtub, so he couldn't oh, tell wow. the dog to do anything, but the dog pulled him out. He was still dressed. He, was just, he had a, a seizure and fell into the bathtub. So the dog yeah. figured out, I'm going to try to pull him out of the bathtub and succeeded in doing that. And Holy. that dog actually was very afraid of running water. We think somebody may have tied him up and sprayed him with a hose to punish him. So Jeez. because of the foundation of the relationship with him and the gentleman who was actually a pastor, he overcame his biggest fear and figured out how to solve wow. it by himself. <laughs> and with a deaf person, they don't know the microwave oven's going off. They don't know the phone is ringing or someone's knocking on the door, just like a drug dog or a, a dog that smells, you know, guns or whatever. The cue comes from the environment, so you can't 
control the dog if you actually have the disability or if you're the officer. The dog has to want to do it. Yes. So you, you build up like, That's every time you do this, something great happens. Well, I'm sure going to do it again then. So it's a really creative way of training, and it works much better for more complex behaviors. It's not just, don't get up unless I tell you to or I'm going to be mean to you. It's, hey, open the refrigerator, but now I want you to tug the strap attached to the door handles. I want you to tug it with more force, or mm-hmm. I want you to nudge my paralyzed arm back into the armrest of the wheelchair. Okay, you touched it. Now push it a little harder. So there's a lot of characteristics of a behavior, and this kind of training helps you fine-tune a behavior. It's not just don't cross the line into the kitchen. So right, it's right. very elegant, and it's, it's, not the, it's easy, it's creative, it's fun for you and the animal. And, you know, people get away with using crummy training methods on dogs because dogs are resilient. They'll figure out what you want. And they're littler than you are most of the time, so you can manhandle them or overpower them. But if you're working with a killer whale or a bird that can fly away or an elephant, you really want to have behaviors that the animal wants to participate in versus hurting it because those animals can hurt you if they're afraid or angry at you. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So you want to team up. Yeah, that makes total sense now that you put it in that in that context. I'm like, yeah, you know Thanks. what? They would totally become creative and find a different way of doing things. That's awesome. Well, when you hear about, when you use aggression in training, like punishment is aggression, you get three things that you don't want. You get aggression back. So when you hear about, sometimes with old, they used to train police dogs, they were pretty rough with them. You'll get a dog that'll bite the handler. Or you might get like a wild animal that's in captivity that attacks the, the trainer like, like an elephant mm. or something. Yeah, that's aggression back because that person's been hurting that animal and the animal's finally yes, doesn't have any nuts. other options. You get what's called escapism where the animal runs away, which is all the elephants trampling through the village. We were at a dog show once and there was a demonstration of they were showing on a Dalmatian how to use a shock collar, which gives oh. the dog a shock. And all of a sudden you just saw they wanted to borrow our PA system, our microphone. And I said, no, I don't believe in your actions. I think they're morally <laughs> wrong. So... Five minutes later, you see a Dalmatian running through the auditorium or the convention center, and he wanted to get away, and that's why you have teen runaways. The third thing you get is learned helplessness, where you just zone out and let them hurt you, because that's, and people do that too, and it's it's real sad to see, and we don't want to do any of those things to our animals, and we don't need to, so... I demonize anybody who uses punishment on their animals and for shock collars, all of that stuff. That's just wrong, and I hope they learn better methodology and they can be more successful with their dogs and, and other animals and the humans in their lives, too. Yeah, yep. that is uh, definitely important. It has to start yeah. with us, right? Right. So, <laughs> so, Sherry, tell us about your main programs that you offer people needing assistance. Well, we train hearing dogs that alert deaf people to different sounds like the baby's cry, the oven timer, the smoke alarm, think someone calling your name. And within the, the hearing impaired community, there's different levels. There's deaf, there's people who maybe wear a hearing aid or cochlear implant, but when they take them out, they don't have any hearing. Okay. There's hard of hearing. And we just say if you're missing sounds, you know, we want to help you. And those are usually medium size dogs like Benji, like Terriers and Cocker Spaniels and that type of dog. And they will touch you to get their attention. They'll either mm, nudge okay. you with their nose or their paw. And then you go, what is it? And then uh, the dog will lead you to the sound. And oh. on the smoke alarm, that might lead you to the, ha- to the door. So yeah, they're basically, hey, follow me. Something's going on over here. And when you're walking with the dog, you sort of see them in the corner of your eye. So if they whip their head around to look at something, you can see what they're looking at. Like, somebody on a ladder hammering or, or you know, oh, okay, a car yeah. out. One young woman who came to us for a hearing dog said she was walking through the parking lot at Target. Y'all have Target up there? 
Ah. Uh, okay. A big, a big store. Yes. A big, like a you Walmart. Know, everything yeah. you, there you go. And all of a sudden she was screwing around on her phone and all of a sudden in the parking lot, she just smelled burning rubber and she looked up and a car had just almost hit her and like slammed its brakes on. Oh, and she decided to get a hearing dog because it would have alerted her that there was a, there was a car kind of right around them in your personal space or about to be. Mm-hmm. So those dogs basically touch you and lead you to the sound. And they'll sort of figure out, they'll start alerting you to even more things that you didn't even train them for. Like we trained a dog to alert a woman when her tea kettle whistle went off. And it started alerting her to when her soup was boiling because it started noticing the bubbles, the sound of the bubbles in the soup and started alerting her to that. And we had a hearing dog that alerted a woman when at night it woke her up. It turned out the picture behind her bed had fallen down. So they kind of get the hang of it and they, they huh. will alert you to even more things. And then the service dogs, what the industry calls service dogs, is for somebody with their mobility-related disability. They've had a spinal cord injury. Right, yes. Cerebral palsy, all that stuff, multiple sclerosis, and the dog, a lot, a lot of what they do is pick up things you drop. We do a lot of behaviors based on tugging, like they'll open the door, they'll open the refrigerator, they might tug your sock off. Even in the refrigerator, they'll bring you back, you know, a bottle of water or a little lunch, one of those little kind of... Uh, yeah, oh, take-out containers, yeah. Yeah, take-out thing, a little lunch thing. You can brace on them if you're transferring between your wheelchair and, like, the couch or the bed. They can turn a light on or off. They'll get on their hind legs and use their mouth to kind of do it. And that includes ceiling fans. They'll do what's called targeting, which is means touching something with their paw or their nose, like the automatic door button that opens doors, like, to the yes. mall or wherever. And we can custom train them. Somebody said, I can't get my shirt off over my head, and the dog can help. We had oh, wow. one dog that would pull the Velcro on the guy's tennis shoes, and so um, that's exciting for us. We'll have a dog that will go push an emergency buzzer that calls, like, an ambulance. And um, we have dogs that get clothes out of the dryers because the person can't reach into the dryer and do that, and they'll drop them in a laundry basket. And then we'll attach, like, an old necktie. We use them a lot. And they'll pull the laundry basket down the hall so the person can, you know, fold their clothes in their bedroom. And so those are the service dogs. And then, again, the courthouse dogs help uh, staff at a district attorney's office kind of comfort children. And a lot of times they do a lot of comfort for the, the people in the courthouse, the adults as well, like the staff. Oh. And now this firehouse dog is helping first responders, but they're also using it in the community. Like the fire chief said, oh, the hospital called. They had a mom and a six-year-old boy who's autistic He had to give a blood sample, and he was getting hysterical, so they brought the dog in, and the doctor said, Vancouver, tell Van what's going on, and then the child said, explained it to him, and said, look, it doesn't hurt at all, and he calmed down. And (laughs) we have one hand's touching the dog, his fingertips are on the dog's forehead, and he's looking at the dog, and the doctor has, is taking the blood draw on the other arm, so, and the mom's sobbing, because they said usually they have to have three guys hold her son down to take these blood samples, so it's pretty miraculous what dogs can do. Yeah, sounds like it. You have all the good stories. So nice to hear. <laughs> Jeez. I, I agree. And I love taking something somebody else threw away and pairing it with somebody that maybe has been marginalized. So I like to use the term from strays to stars. Ah, that's a good one. Really, when you take an animal and you, use, you add some positive reinforcement type training, you can get all kinds of wonderful behaviors and a dog that is choosing to work for you, which is kind of what we want. Just like if you were a police officer, you would want a partner you could depend on who was helping you when you couldn't help yourself because of the relationship, not because he's trying to avoid something bad happening. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Before we wrap up, in what ways can people help your organization? Well, we're one of the few groups now that 
still provides the dogs completely for free. Some of the folks out there will have the client go raise money, but we are providing the dogs completely free, including follow-up for the lifetime of the dog. Wow. So we can certainly use donations, and our website is servicedogs.org. And if you're in, in the Austin, Texas area, we certainly can use volunteers that maybe take a dog home over a weekend or overnight. And um, we have a big dog walk in the spring, which is called the Mighty Texas Dog Walk. And I'm very proud to say it's already won seven Guinness World Records, including Woo. most dogs walked. It used to be there was a group in Connecticut that when Paul Newman was alive, they did a dog walk. But we, oh, it was Fidelco, which was a guide dog school in Jersey, but we beat them. Oh so my God, how many, how many do you have? Well, uh, now we're all beat by this group in England. So we started going, and I think they cheat in my opinion, but anyway, <laughs> so we started going for other Guinness World Records. So we won two for my favorite, Biggest Furball. We had everybody brush their dog, and we had uh. a giant snow globe sphere, and we weighed all the fur And after we subtracted out the container weight. And we've won that record twice. The most recent was 310 pounds because we're super oh classy. Oh, my God. And then this year, we won for the biggest cake for dogs. It had previously been held by Ireland. Not anymore. Um, we beat them by over, well, their, their weight was in the metric system, so we may never really know what it was. But it translated to around 200 pounds, and our cake was over 300 pounds. And then all the dogs got a free piece of cake after we weighed it. So it was like a, like a wedding reception. So if you're Amazing. in Texas That's anywhere fun. or even in the rest of the country, you might want to come for our dog walk uh, next year, and you can find out about that on the website as well. That it's, sounds like It's fun. the doggiest day in the whole USA. <laughs> when yeah. is it held usually? This next one will be Saturday, April 13th in uh, near downtown Austin, Texas. So you can come. There's a lot of pet-friendly uh, lodging here in Austin. You get free samples. It's usually about 30 or 40 bucks to walk. But people take home like multiple tote bags of samples from Purina, Petco, all the different dog food brands, Nutrish, and uh, there's a lot of trainers and veterinarians with free consulting out there. So it's a lot of fun. And you get a tired dog, which is um, yeah. a tired dog is a good dog. So it's, yes. and we usually have a party theme. This year it was sort of Mardi Gras carnival, and next year it's high school reunion. So whatever that means to you, you can dress yourself and your dog up, and we'll have some trophies for the coolest costumes. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Thank yeah. you so much, Sherry. For, Maybe we'll uh, see some poodles wearing poodle skirts. You never yeah, know. Yeah, well, sky's the limit. They can get creative, yeah. you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, we definitely have of- had some Willie Nelson dogs before, which when our theme was <laughs> Texas Pride. So you see a lot of dogs with braids and cowboy hats, which is hilarious. Oh, boy. Star dogs, that's for sure. That's right. Well, we are out of time. Uh, I really appreciate Sherry coming on today. It's been a pleasure featuring you on your 30th anniversary. Yay! Yay, thank you. (laughs) Yes. And thanks to our show producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. You can check out Service Dogs, Inc. at www.servicedogs.org. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.